Good morning. It's great to see you guys this weekend. Welcome to Seacoast Church. Uh, my name is Josh Surratt. I'm the campus pastor here at the Long Point campus and uh, glad to have the opportunity to be with you. I want to welcome those of you that are joining us at one of our campuses. Uh, we are glad to have you guys along as well. Uh, you may be on the internet. Uh, we're glad to have you. Also, this weekend we had uh, some guests from a house church in Maine that has been connected with Seacoast for four years using the videos. And so I want to welcome those of you in Maine as well. We're glad you guys are, are here. A couple of uh, days ago, my family just got back from the grocery store on a Thursday night because that's the kind of thing that we do on a Thursday night. Got, got the family together, went to the grocery store, got home. It was a little bit late, a little past the kids' bedtime. And so my wife took our two-year-old daughter, Greta Kate, into... Uh, put her in bed, and then I grabbed my four-year-old son, Miles, and said, hey, buddy, we're going we're gonna to be the men. We're going to carry the groceries in uh, to the house, and he said, Daddy, I don't want to do that. I said, okay, well, let me explain how things work uh, to you. I thought I already explained it. You do what I tell you to do, so we're going to carry him in. We're going to be the men. We're going to serve our, our, the women in our home. We're going to carry it in, so I handed him a bag of groceries, uh, kind of a lighter weight bag, and he started to carry it in, and of course, I grabbed a bunch of them, and it took about three trips for me to get in and out. Uh, from the car back to the kitchen. And as I got back in on my third trip, Miles had finally gotten in with his first bag. If you have a four-year-old, you know how that works. They just kind of find other things to do along the way. And so I walk into the kitchen and he's sitting on the floor and he's taken the bread out of that, um, the bag that he was carrying. And he's, he's, he's pounding it into the ground and he's just squashing. And then, then he's like, and then he actually literally, he's on the floor with it and he just drops a leg into it. Kind of, you know, does does this number and so so i come in behind him and i pick the the bread up and i I'm, miles what are you doing and um so i actually had to walk out of the room for a few minutes to kind of collect myself decide how we were going to handle this so i take him back to his room and we're having a discussion about what had just happened and uh, i was sharing with him some of the consequences that would be a result of his behavior one of which was we were we got his piggy bank out and i took out how much this bread costs plus the cost of some more loaves for message illustration purposes. Uh, so a little, little bit of interest that I charge him on that. <clears throat> talked to him about some privileges that he was going to lose and uh, then talked to him about some other forms of punishment that we were going to inflict on him as a result of that. But it, anyways, I looked at him and I said, Miles, what would cause you to do this? I mean, why in the world would you ruin a perfectly good loaf of bread? And he looks up at me and he says, Daddy, I really, really, really did not want to carry those groceries in. And, and he was just mad. And as I thought about that, I thought, you know, my son at the age of four is learning a lesson that most of us learn at some point along the way. And it's that there are going to be times in our life that we have to do things that we don't want to do, right? I mean, anybody have a testimony about that? Has God ever asked you to do something that you just really did not want to do? I, I know it happens to me a lot. Sometimes it's to say, I'm sorry, you know, where I, I really don't want to. Sometimes I don't even think that I was wrong, but God's calling me to humble myself and apologize. Sometimes it's, you know, giving of, of my money towards something or giving of resources. Recently, he called Lisa and I to sell our house, uh, and we weren't really sure why or what was that, that all about, but we knew he was calling us to do it. We really didn't want to do it, uh, but, but we had to do it. And some I've done well on, and others I've, you may not have seen me physically squash a loaf of bread, but internally I was having that same kind of reaction to what God had called me to do. And, and the mark of a, a mature believer is how do we handle those situations? You know, how do we respond when God calls us to do something that we really don't want to do? We're studying the book of Jonah, and uh, it's been a fun series so far. If you were here last week, Josh Walters kicked it off and, and talked to us about the word of the Lord coming to us. 
But th- this week, we're going to continue our series on Jonah. And if you weren't here last week, you, you probably know the story. Most of you are probably familiar with the story. If you're not, I'll give you a brief recap. Jonah is this prophet, and God asks him to do something that he doesn't want to do, so he runs from him, ends up getting swallowed by a fish. And then his father, Geppetto, comes into the fish to save him. They light a fire, spits him out, and he can become a real boy, right? Or no, that might have been Pinocchio, but, you know... That, I googled it. That's what it said. But <clears throat> anyways, no, obviously, you know, the story Jonah's Jonah's running from God. And what I want to do is if you have your Bibles today or a smartphone or whatever it might be, open them up to the book of Jonah. Uh, Josh talked last week about the word of the Lord coming. And we're going to kind of continue that thought. And we're just going to do a Bible study on the first chapter of the book of Jonah. Talk about what happens when the word of the Lord comes, specifically when he comes and asks us to do things that we don't want to do. So we're going to dive in. Um, The first point on your outline sheet, if you have an outline, you can pull that out as well and follow along, uh, is this. And we've already talked about it. God often will ask us to do things that we don't want to do. God will often ask us to do things that we do not want to do. Look at verses 1 and 2. It says, The Lord gave this message to Jonah, son of Amittai. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. And here's what I want you to do. Announce my judgment against it because I have seen how wicked its people are. Jonah's a prophet and he hears from God and he says, go to Nineveh. And Jonah says, no, I I don't want to do that, God. That is not on on my radar. That's not something that I had planned to do right now. And we give Jonah kind of a hard time, but here's the truth about Nineveh. If if you know anything about the Ninevites, they were a part of a a country called Assyria. And most historians would tell you that the, the... kind of the reign of the Assyrians, they were the most brutal empire that ever existed. I mean, just really evil people. In fact, sometimes when towns would hear that the Assyrians were going to come and, and attack them, the entire town would commit mass suicide because they would rather take their own lives than deal with the, the brutality that these Assyrian people would bring upon them. You know, there are stories of these guys coming in and they would kill uh, the women and children and they would take the surviving men, the prisoners of war, and they would take them outside of the city and they would literally skin them alive. They would fillet them and take their skin off of their, their body. Then they would bury them up to their shoulders after having been skinned. If you can imagine how torturous and how brutal these people are. And they would leave them there to just go crazy and to die. Sometimes they would put on Justin Bieber and make them listen to it until they just <laughs> lost it. I made that last part up. But, but you get the point. Uh, these people were just bad people. And so... Frankly, maybe we'll be a little bit lighter on Jonah when we kind of get some context that what God had called him to do was really a a difficult task. Not only just to go to these people who hated him anyways. I mean, they were Israel's worst enemy. Uh, But but he wasn't coming to teach them a new song. You know, Jesus loves you, this I know. Uh, God's here for you. He he was coming to announce God's judgment upon them and to, to show them how wicked they were. And so I would argue that most of us today who are believers would struggle with that call of God. You know, God asked him to do something he really didn't want to do. And sometimes God will speak to you as well. And the word of the Lord will come to you and it'll ask you to do things that you don't want to do. Now, I don't know how that plays out for you this weekend, uh, but maybe you're here today and there's someone in your life that has done you wrong. I mean, they've hurt you deeply. Maybe they've hurt your children. Maybe they've done something to your family member and, and everything inside of you says, I want to hate that person for the rest of my life. I'm going to hang on to this. I'm going to pay them back for what they've done. Most of your friends would probably agree that you have every reason to be angry towards this person. And the word of the Lord is going to come to you today and it's going to say, you know what? I want you to forgive that person. 
And you're going to go, you know what? Everything inside of me does not want to do that. But, but God has called you to do it. You know, maybe you're here and, and you've heard about the biblical tithe. You know, and, and, and you've heard maybe a preacher talk about it. Or you've read in scripture about how God has given everything that you have. It belongs to him. And as an act of worship, he asks us to give 10% of that back to him. And you go, you know what? I don't understand that. And I, frankly, I don't even, I don't care. I'm not going to do that. I don't want to do that. I don't get that. And so you choose not to do it. Maybe he's called you to honor your parents and they've done nothing to earn that. Maybe he's called you to share your faith. That's happened to me twice this week where I've been in restaurants and, and the word of the Lord has come to me and I've just known that God's called me to, to invite this person to come to church. And it's uncomfortable. It's like, oh, I don't know. What if they don't, you know, what if they freak out about that? I don't want to be that guy, but, but God calls me to do it. And he may have called you to do something similar. Maybe it's to change a, a habit. You know, maybe it's you're single and there's someone that is in your life and, and you begin to date somebody and you re- I mean, really, really good looking person, right? And every time you're around them, you get those kind of tingly feelings inside and, 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 and you find yourself crossing lines. You find yourself doing things with that person that God has re- reserved for the marriage bed. And the word of the Lord has come to you and said, hey, I want you to honor me in this area of your life. And you go, I don't want to. You know, I, everything in me wants to engage in this. I remember Lisa and I were dating and uh, actually we were engaged and we had about a year left until we were going to get married. And we were both believers. We both loved God and we wanted to honor him physically with our relationship. But we found ourselves like many young couples do, just struggling with boundaries and trying to figure out where do we draw the line and where do we you know, draw the line to honor him. And we, we find ourselves just struggling and, 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 and feeling guilty at times for where we were and just trying to figure this thing out. And Lisa went to a wedding up in New York City with some friends and, and uh, she was a bridesmaid or whatever in this wedding. And she comes home and she, she goes, Josh, I've got to tell you about this couple that I met. They were so cool. I mean, she starts telling me these things about this couple. And, and she goes, and here's the coolest thing about this couple. They've been dating. They're, they're engaged to get married. They've never kissed and they're never going to kiss until they get married. And you know what I thought about them? They're losers. <laughs> right? I mean, they're probably ugly. They probably don't even have attraction to each other. You know, I'm thinking all these things. But I'm much more mature than to say that. And so what I said was, well, babe, that's great for them. I, I praise God that he hasn't called us to do that. <laughs> and later she told me that God had told her that if, if we were supposed to do it, that he was going to use me in that. She wasn't going to force that issue. So she left it alone. And for three months, I left it alone too, <laughs> thankfully. Um, but, but we began to have some just struggle. Like it felt like our relationship was grinding a little bit. We were struggling. We were fighting a little bit. And... We were at first Wednesday one night and I felt like God finally kind of spoke to me, whether he spoke to me at first and I was ignoring him or he finally spoke to me at first Wednesday, I'm not sure. But he said, I want you to do this. I want you to honor me in this area. I want you to have discipline in this area of your life. And so we went out to the car, getting ready to go to dinner and I said, babe, I really feel like God is calling us to do this, to not kiss until the day we get married. And she was like, wow, are you, you know, really? You feel that way? And I was like, I really do. And she said, well, can we start tomorrow? And I said, No. <laughs> starting tonight you know we're gonna we're gonna do well on this but god's gonna do that he's gonna ask us especially as we grow in our faith to do things that we don't want to do here's why i know that look at isaiah 55 9 it says for just as the heavens are higher than the earth so my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts and what that means is that there are going to come times in our lives intersecting points where what we think is best, the best way forward conflicts with what God says is the best way forward. 
And, and these are kind of who's in charge moments that we go through in our lives. And there are times where God's going to test us to go, am I going to power through this and do it my way? Or am I going to surrender my life and yield myself to God's purposes and God's, God's ways, which are higher than my ways? You know, it's not always that our ways are bad. It's just that his way is better. And he has our best interests in mind. His ways are higher than ours. And therefore, there will be these who's in charge moments. Jonah's comes when God says, I want you to go to Nineveh. And he says, I don't want to do it. And that leads us to our second point that, that we can learn from Jonah. You can always find a boat sailing in the, the opposite direction or the wrong direction. You can always find a boat sailing in the wrong direction. Look at Jonah 1 verse 3. It says, but Jonah got up and went in the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. He went down to the port of Joppa where he found a ship leaving for Tarshish. He bought a ticket and went on board, hoping to escape from the Lord by sailing to Tarshish. So God says, Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh. Nineveh is east of Israel. Jonah uh, wrestles with this, doesn't want to do it. So he goes down to a port. Uh, and it just so happens that he goes to this port and there's a boat that's going the exact opposite direction. It's going west. And so funny enough, Jonah checks in and they've actually got an extra ticket available for him for this particular journey. Uh, and, and so he gets, he gets a ticket and he hops on a boat and he goes in the wrong direction. When God asks us to do things that we don't want to do, there will always be options for you. There will always be a boat that's going the opposite direction. There will always be things that, that can distract us from it. For example, let's say that you're in a marriage. And in your marriage, it's, it's struggling. You know, you're at a place of conflict and, and you know that your marriage needs attention. You know that you probably need to get some counseling or you need to really spend some time focused on that marriage. Well, there will always be boats going in the opposite direction. There will be the work boat that you can kind of pour yourself into and you can go in early and come home late and you can kind of distract yourself from, from the issues that are going on in your relationship. There's the parenting boat that obviously is a, a positive thing. All of us should, should strive to be great parents, but sometimes we, we dig ourselves so deep into the parenting boat that we, we don't pay any attention to our spouse. And I see so often that, that the kids will move out and parents don't really know how to relate to each other anymore because they haven't been, been working on the relationship you know, there's the speedboat, just stay busy, you know, distract yourself from the issues that are ha at hand. Uh, and here's the thing about the boats. When there's a boat going the opposite direction, not only will there always be a boat, there will always be other people on that boat who agree with you that it's the best thing for you. You know, we can always, I find this in my own life, I can always find someone to agree with me in my sin. You know, when, when I'm trying to run from something that God wants me to do, there are always people that will go, you know what, you're right. You shouldn't forgive that person. Or, you know what, he doesn't treat you well. You, you need to get out of that, that, that relationship. Or, or maybe, you, yeah, he's great for you. You need to stay in that relationship. It, you know, there will always be people that will agree with you and what you want to hear. So there are other, there are other boats. You, know, you may be struggling financially. And you know that God's called you to dig your way out of that mess. To save and to honor him with your finances. And there will always be the sailboat, right? S-A-L-E, boat going in the wrong direction. Can you say iPhone 4G-S? Siri, you know, I need it. We've got to have her. Someone can actually talk to me and, and answer my questions. There's always going to be things that, you know, new shiny things that will grab your attention, that will kind of try to distract you from doing what God's called you to do. In general, life needs work. Our relationships need reconciliation. You know, uh, our habits need changed. And we can always find boats going in the opposite direction. Why do we do that? Why do we look for boats going the other way? I think a couple of reasons. One is selfishness. You know, frankly, at the core of each of us, is a little four-year-old boy 
It's like, you know what? I want to do what I'm going to do. And I, I, I'm not interested in, in listening to what anybody else has to say about it. You know, we all struggle with that. We've got to constantly surrender that selfishness to God. Maybe it's fear. You know, maybe the, the Nineveh that God's called you to is, is big. It's bigger than you can accomplish on your own. It's going to take resources. It's going to take people coming alongside of you. It's going to take God showing up. And, and, and that fear that says, man, I wonder, what if God doesn't show up here? Or, or what if God leaves me out to dry? You know, and we've always got to wrestle that fear when, when, when God calls us to do something. Sometimes it's pride. You know, I've got a better way. I've done this, I've done well all my life, and, and I've, I've got a better way. I've got to battle that. Sometimes it's just easier to hop a different boat. You know, I mean, it's just easier to do the easy thing. What we find in Jonah's story is it really wasn't, in fact, easier. It ended up being a lot more difficult for him to walk in disobedience than it was for him to be, walk in obedience. <clears throat> and sometimes it's just mission drift. We get mission drift. I think that's what happened with Jonah. I mean, Jonah's a prophet. I mean, the, the reason he lives, you know, God's purpose for his life is to bring the word of the Lord to people. And, and he got mission drift. You know, he, he, he wondered, I wonder what will happen if I bring this word of the Lord to, to the Ninevites. Not only was there fear, but there was also, he even says it in chapter 4, he was afraid that God would actually do what he said he would do and, and save these people. Frankly, when you start reaching Ninevites, it gets messy. You know, I mean, these people don't think like Jonah. They don't act like Jonah. They don't you know, vote like Jonah. And, and I'm sure there was, just, there, there was just some mission drift. He forgot that, that God had called him to bring the word of the Lord for the purposes of redemption in people's lives. One of my biggest fears as a church is that we would get mission drift. You know, that, that God would call us to do things that we don't want to do and, and we would get mission drift and choose to walk in disobedience. You know, the reason we exist as a church has never changed from the day we started. It's to help people become fully devoted followers of Christ. It's, it's to reach lost people, in some cases, who don't know anything about God, who have no relationship with Him, and to help them find life in Christ. And even mature believers, to help them take their next step in becoming fully devoted followers of Christ. And frankly, that's been happening. It's been happening to a great degree, and we're a part of an incredible move of God. And we've seen you know, lives changed and marriages restored and people come to Christ, and hundreds and hundreds and thousands of people have been baptized. And it's an incredible thing. And people start to notice around the country and start to ask questions. How do y'all do that? What's going on there? And magazines have written it up and, and all those things are cool. But I would hate that we ever got mission drift and ever thought that that's what it's about. It's really, it's about helping the next person who needs to walk through these doors or who lives among you and your circle of friends that, that God's called you to reach. You know, and, and it's easy to get mission drift, even as a, a church member, you know. When you start reaching Ninevites, you have multiple service times and, and maybe the church changes the service times like every couple of weeks and you can't quite figure out what's going on. And, uh, you know, God may ask me to attend a different venue or a different time or, you know, to watch a, a message on a screen or whatever it might be. And it's easy to kind of slip into this, you know, this is inconvenient. And frankly, it's going to be inconvenient as, as long as God's called us to reach people who are hurting and lost. So, so I, I hope we'll never get mission drift. Yeah, I always used to just think that my Nineveh was ministry. Because I grew up in a pastor's home, you know, my dad's pastor, senior pastor here at this church, and all my friends would, would ask me in high school, hey Josh, so are you going to go into ministry? Are you going to be a pastor like your dad? It's like, no, not on your life. I want nothing to do with that. In fact, I got my seminary degree at the College of Charleston. They don't actually have a seminary program. 
but, but I studied, studied business down there and worked in a restaurant and really just did not want anything to do with this. But God kind of got a hold of my heart. And, and called me into ministry. And, and frankly, I love it. It doesn't feel like a Nineveh anymore because I, I love it and I hope I get to do it the rest of my life uh, here at Seacoast. But, but sometimes I've also found as we grow in our relationship with Christ, as we pursue him and follow him, he's not just after a surrender one time, like an initial, hey, God, I want to say a prayer and commit my life to you. But he's after a daily surrender and constant surrender. And, and sometimes he'll bring new Ninevehs into our life. In this past year, he's brought a new Nineveh into to my life, and he's kind of opened my wife and I's eyes up to some things that, that we didn't know were going on. And he's, he, he's called us to, to spend a good part of our time and resources and effort helping to be a part of a solution to it. And, and this particular Nineveh really began in my wife. never have seen myself doing this sort of thing. I've lived in Charleston for over 20 years. When I look at Charleston, I see its history, its charm, its southern hospitality. Those things are still there, but now I see a little bit more. Now when I see a girl walking down the street alone, I wonder if she needs help. Now when I see a girl in the back of a police car, I wonder if she was arrested for something she was forced to do. I wonder... Are they victims of human trafficking? I first met Christine Kane at a conference in January of 2010. She told me about an organization she leads called A21, which stands for Abolishing Human Trafficking in the 21st Century. Then, about a year ago, Christine came to speak here at Seacoast. She talked about the reality of human trafficking and the tragic fact that people around the world are being sold like slaves. After she left, We learned that human trafficking was not just a global problem. It's happening right here in the United States every day. I couldn't believe it. I thought to myself, okay, maybe in New York or Philly, but not here in the Bible Belt, right? Definitely not in Charleston. But the truth is, human trafficking does happen right here in our beautiful city. Every girl that is caught in human trafficking is someone's daughter, sister, cousin, or friend. I realized that if that happened to someone I love, I would not sleep until they were safe. I knew that God wanted me to get involved, to help somehow, but I was afraid. I knew that it would change my life, and I didn't want that. I wanted everything to stay the same, to stay safe. But I could not get away from it, from what God was calling me to do. I kept meeting people who were connected to anti-trafficking groups, and I knew that God was not going to leave me alone. He was telling me, stand up, use your voice, make a difference. Six months later, I stopped running. In March of 2011, I met with a few other people who had a passion to fight human trafficking. Today, there are 40 of us meeting weekly. As a missional community, we have begun working with A21, other anti-trafficking groups, and local law enforcement to find ways to make a difference in the lives of victimized girls in our country, state, and community. 
Before, I can never see myself doing this sort of thing. But now, it's all I see. So when God began to open our eyes to some of the things that were going on there, uh, honestly, I was like my son, going, uh-uh, I want nothing to do with that. You know, I'll pray, I'll give, but, but we're not going to be involved in that. But over time, God has called us to, to be a part of a solution there. And for some of you, you're, you're Nineveh, maybe the same as ours, and you want to get on board and be a part of that team. And if that's you, I encourage you to either go out in the breezeway at this campus or some of our campuses will have information in the breezeway, or just go to a21carolinas.org and you can get more information. But here's the cool thing is there are a lot of Ninevehs that have been popping up in this congregation. I'm, I'm so excited about the season that we're in as a church. Uh, just seeing missional leaders rise up, and there's, there's a group of people that their hearts have been broken over homelessness downtown, and so they've been going down every week and just meeting some of these guys and girls and spending time and getting to know them and, and loving on them, and they're, they're working to bring hope and help to the people who need it. Uh, there's people in our church who have become so heartbroken over uh, the, the issues of poverty in Africa. They've started an organization called Bread of Life and, and they're going over there and they're sending teams and they're, they're helping to, to, to heal that land and to be a part of God's solution for that land. And there are some that it may not be a cause like that. It may be uh, just getting involved in the church, taking your next step of connection to the church. You know, there are many people who have been going through the inside track, uh, which is our new, new, newcomers process and new members process of just kind of plugging in and saying, you know what? God has called me to this church and I want to be a part I want to serve. I want to be on the team. You know, I don't know what it is that God's called you to be a part of, but, but I do know that God's going to ask you to do some things that you don't want to do. And there will always be options for you to go in the other direction. Here's the last thing that I know, or actually the third thing. There's two more. What, the third thing I know is that God may send a storm to grab your attention. He may send a storm to grab your attention. Look at verse 4. It says, But the Lord hurled a powerful wind over the sea, causing a violent storm that threatened to break the ship apart. You know, what I'm not saying is that every storm that comes into your life is sent by God. But in this case, it says God hurled a storm towards them. I don't want to be a part of a storm that God hurled towards me. But sometimes God will send a custom designed storm to get our attention. You've heard the phrase, God loves you just the way you are, but he loves you too much to leave you that way. You know, and sometimes he's got to bring a storm. He's got to bring a little bit of uh, pain into our lives to, to get our attention. And the storm that Jonah was going through, it wasn't as much about Jonah as it was about Nineveh. You know, God loved Nineveh so much that he was willing to put Jonah through a storm to get his attention, to get him to come on board with his will for his life. And some of you are in a storm and it's really not even about you. The storm isn't to pay you back for something that you did a long time ago. The storm is, is because God has a redemptive purpose for your family for your friends, for your neighborhood, for your city. And, and he'll do whatever it takes to get your attention, to get you to come on board with his plan for your life. You know, the sad truth is that innocent people are often affected by our disobedience. Look at Jonah. He didn't go through the storm alone. Verses five through nine, it says, fearing for their lives, the desperate sailors shouted to their gods for help and threw the cargo overboard to lighten the ship. All this time, Jonah was sound asleep in the hold. So the captain goes down after him. How can you sleep at a time like this? Get up and pray to your God. Maybe he will pay attention to us and spare our lives. And then the crew cast lots to see which of them had offended the gods and caused this terrible storm. When they did this, the lots identified Jonah as the culprit. So they ask him, why has this awful storm come down on us? Who are you? What is your line of work? 
What country are you from? What's your nationality? And Jonah answered them, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. It's ironic to me that he answers that way. Because in that moment, he wasn't worshiping the Lord. He was running from the Lord. Yeah, but, but, but his storm caused a lot of pain to a lot of innocent people. And the higher up the, the food chain you are, the more responsibility that you have, the more people get soaked when we walk in disobedience from God. You may be a boss or a parent. You may be a teacher, a leader of some sort. And when we choose to disobey God, the people around us will get soaked in the process. Everyone suffers. Look at verse 10. The sailors were terrified when they heard this, for he had already told them he was running away from the Lord. Oh, why did you do it? They groaned. I don't know if you can catch their tone there, but, but it's, Jonah, what were you thinking? Why did you do this? Didn't you know that this was going to cause us all this pain? Let me ask you a question. Is, is there something that you're hiding in your life? That if it was exposed, those closest to you who are currently getting wet, as a result, would look at you and go, why, why, what were you thinking? What, why didn't you think about how this was going to impact me? You know, the, the, the challenge is that all of our stuff is eventually going to be exposed. You know, either God's going to expose it or, or we can expose it ourselves. And that's actually the good news about this storm, this kind of storm, is, is if we're in a storm that's caused by our own disobedience, we control the length and the destiny and the intensity Look at Jonah 1, 11 through 12. It says, and since the storm was getting worse all the time, they asked him, what should we do to keep to you to stop the storm? Throw me into the sea, Jonah said, and it will become calm again. I know that this terrible storm is all my fault. See, all Jonah had to do was come clean. All he had to do is repent of his sin and the storm stops. And some of you are in a storm today and all you have to do is, is come clean. God's asked you to do something that you don't want to do. And it may not be this big, awful sin. It may be for some of us. Or it may just be that you, you're walking in disobedience because you've chosen not to get on board with what God's called you to do. And, and you're in a boat, you're going the wrong direction, and, and, and you can kind of feel the storm has come. There are waves coming over the boat. Let me encourage you, repent. You come clean. Take it to God. We can control the length and the, the intensity of that storm. Look at verse 15 and 16. Here's some, some more good news with our storms. It says, Then the sailors picked Jonah up and threw him into the raging sea, and the storm stopped at once. The sailors were awestruck by the Lord's great power, and they offered him a sacrifice, and they vowed to serve him. Remember just a couple minutes ago, these same sailors were crying out to any God they could find. You know, they, they were trying to figure something out. Well, when Jonah finally came clean in his storm, even in the midst of his disobedience, these sailors begin to worship God. And, and if you'll come clean, if you'll handle your storm right, the people around you will see that and will come to God if we're willing to humble ourselves and do it. So God's gonna ask us to do things we don't wanna do. We can always find a boat going the other direction. Sometimes God might send a storm to grab our attention. And the last thing that we can learn is this. God probably has an unexpected way forward for you. God probably has an unexpected way forward for you. Look at verse 17. Now the Lord had arranged for a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was inside the fish for three days and three nights. You know, if you'd have given Jonah a hundred guesses as to how God was going to get him out of the storm, I doubt that he's going to come up with that one. Yeah, and, and that's kind of, I mean, for Jonah, 
for him to come clean, it, it was going to cost him everything. I mean, he probably thought through, if I come clean, I'm going to die. I mean, they're throwing me into the water with no one around in this massive storm. I've, I've failed God, and, and, but, but the right thing to do is to come clean, and it's going to cost me my life. And God had a creative solution for him. It's great news about God. God's not limited in his options to deliver you from your storm. You may be in a storm right now and, and you've thought it through in your head and you've thought, I may, if I come clean on this, it's going to cost me everything. If I come clean, it's going to cost me this relationship or it's going to cost me you know, th- this friendship, whatever it might be. For Jonah, it was going to cost him his life. And, and the, the cool thing about that is I don't know what the consequences will be. I don't know. It may cost you some things, but all we're responsible for is our part is to do what God's called us to do, is to stop running from what he's called us to do and to come clean, to repent. And then let God take care of his part. He can get creative in how he redeems you and how he brings you out of the storm. He, he's not out of solutions. He, he can do whatever he wants. If we will repent, he can get creative in how he chooses to deliver us. Look at Jonah 2.10. It says, And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. When the storm is over, clean up the mess. You know, there's, there's going to be a mess. Anytime we walk in disobedience, it gets messy. And start running towards obedience. That's what Jonah did. Coolest part of this story is that then he decides, I'm going to get on board with what God's called me to do. And he goes to Nineveh and he delivers this word. And something crazy happens. They all start repenting. A move of God comes that he could never have anticipated. He could never have fabricated. And this move of God comes and hundreds of thousands of people end up getting saved as a result. What are you running from God about? Is there something he's called you to do that you don't want to do? You know, I don't think it's an accident that we're in this study right now of the life of Jonah. I really believe that, that we're on the fringe of, of some incredible moves of God in this church. But in order for that to happen, it's going to take us stopping running and beginning to, to instead move towards what God's called us to do. And I believe that we're going to look back and see that God has saved thousands and thousands of people as a result of individuals saying, yes, I'm going to stop running from you, God, and I'm going to stop, start running towards you. I'm going to choose to walk in obedience. I'm going to choose to live a life of surrender, no matter what you've called me to do. The answer is yes. You tell me the question. Would you guys join me in prayer? God, I thank you for your love. I thank you for your grace. Lord, I thank you that as we study the life of Jonah, it's really an incredible parallel and it's an incredible story of of your grace and of your love for us. Lord, that you went to to the ends of the earth to, to save us and to rescue us from our sin. Jesus, I thank you that when God called you to do something you didn't want to do, that you willingly went to the cross and died on the cross so that we wouldn't have to so that we wouldn't have to live in the the penalty of our sin or live in the day-to-day struggle of our sin. And so, God, I just pray for those of us that are here today and that you've just called us to do something, and we know what it is. We know what you've asked us to do, and we've been running from you. And, God, today we want to just draw a line in the sand. We want to say today we're going to stop running from you, and, Lord, we're going to start running towards you. Lord, we're willing to do whatever it takes. We're willing to surrender our will for yours. God, I thank you that your ways are higher than our ways, God, that you have plans that we could never even dream of. So today we choose to stop. We choose to walk in obedience to what you've called us to do. 
Lord, there are some of us that are here today and we're in a storm. And we've been running and, and, and we're experiencing some major pain, some real pain. And it's been a struggle, God. I pray that you would meet us here. Lord, I pray that as we repent, as we say, you know what, we're going we're gonna to walk from, from our sin and walk towards you. Lord, I pray that you would get creative in solutions. God, I pray that you would restore relationships that no one ever thought would be restored. I pray, Lord, that you would just make a way where there seems to be no way. God, we love you. We choose to follow you today. In Jesus' name, amen.